born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. In verse 24, look how important this verse is. So whenever one of these days you wonder whether or not, man, why did God leave me here? Look at this. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And you ought to underline that. The only reason you're still here is because it's more needful for you to be here than for you to be there. He still has something he wants you to do. There's still a ministry for you to do. As long as you can breathe air, you have a purpose in living. And all of you seem like you're breathing pretty good so far. There's times when I don't feel like I'm breathing at all. I used to take in, anytime I'd get in the water, man, first thing I wanted to do was go in the water and hold my breath. That's, that's just thing like this. Betty will tell you this. I, I get in the water and just hold my breath. And I got where I could hold my breath for a long time. And sometimes she got kind of concerned. Next thing you know, she's kicking me, yanking, yanking. <laughs> come up. And then after I come up. But it was a lot of fun when you can get the grandkids in the tank and they get on your back and they can ride horsey. And you can just stay under the water for a long time. They can ride horsey back. But it only takes one heartbeat to die or not to have it. And all of a sudden, he says, there's one heartbeat between me and death. We are so close to dying at any given time. We live only by the grace of God. You could have a stroke that quick or something happens just so fast. And sometimes it might be a long, lingering death. And you can see it coming. But whatever it is, I believe God will give you grace to face that. I wrote a poem to my mom when she found out she had incurable cancer. She had a tumor right behind her heart and they couldn't operate. So she knew she had cancer. She knew she was going to die. And I wrote a poem called Dying Grace. That at the precise moment you need it, God will give you all the grace that you need. And it's kind of like new grace. You never had it before. I've had grace to face this and that and all the rest of the things. But God will give you the grace that you need to face whatever you need to face that you've never faced before. But God is good. So he makes a statement, it's more needful for you. So Paul is letting them know, I'm here because you need me. I can help you. There's things God had taught the apostle Paul that he was able to use it in their life because, hey, you're going to have the same conflict, the same problems that you saw me have, you're going to have too. And nobody gets out of this without it. We always are suffering in some way. 
the time upon this earth after we trust Christ as Savior is a time of suffering. You're suffering in some way. In comparison to what heaven is, yes, this is a place of suffering. But he says the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory we shall be hereafter. In other words, it's, it's going to be wonderful when we get to heaven. Look what else he says here in verse 25. And having this confidence, this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. See, it's not just about you. It's about who needs you. It's so that God can use you for the furtherance of somebody else's faith and their joy. See this word furtherance here? I crossed it up there with that word in verse 12. Paul says, the things that have happened unto me have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. In other words, gave me other opportunities. It's the problems in life that gives you other opportunities. So don't look at them in a bad way, but they're opportunities because God can use you in times of affliction to learn lessons that you wouldn't have learned no other way. And then that makes you more valuable because now you can be an encouragement to somebody else who's going through what you went through. And so when he says here that you're rejoicing in verse 26, you're rejoicing. See, it was I died here in the flesh, though I would desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But it's more needful that I stay here because you need me. I'm concerned about your faith and you growing in the Lord. I'm concerned about your growth. And so he says in verse 27, uh, 6, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ Jesus for me by my coming to you again. In other words, he told me, he said, I'm, I'm coming back to see you. I'm coming to see you again. He said, and I believe that because of your prayers for me, God will deliver me from where I am, and I'll come and see you again. Now, you see, you can read sometimes. You can read this, and you just read over it, and you see words. But to go back and enter into, like the Apostle Paul, where he's at, how he's thinking, what he's going through, and you begin to see things that sometimes I don't think a lot of people see it because they just either read too fast and they just pass right over it. But to think what he's actually saying. Now, remember that. You don't have to know Hebrew and Greek to understand the Bible. You can twist Hebrew and Greek just like you can twist English. Just study the Word. Just study, study the Word. Get to where you know it, and you can quote the Scripture because you can see them on the pages where you get very familiar with it. Now look what he says here in verse 27. Only let your conversation, your behavior, your manner of life be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. In other words, you and I are supposed to live in such a way that enhances the message that we preach. See, I preached a sermon one time called The Man, The Message, The Motive. I thought that was a pretty good sermon. God uses the man, but a man's no good without a message. And so you've got to have the man, you've got to have the message, and you've got to have a motive. And you've got to have a method. In other words, what is the method that you're going to use? So my method for over the years in giving the gospel has always been the little wallet deal. 
And I'd also use the arm illustration for the two natures. Those two things, I believe, is the best method for salvation and service that I know of. I've never seen anybody come out with anything better than those, so I keep using them. Now, if you know a better way and you don't tell me, I hope you get hiccups. I want, I want the best. I want the best. But he said, only let your behavior be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together, and you ought to underline this, for the faith of the gospel. Another play called by, and for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the faith of the gospel. In other words, see, there has to be a motive. Why do you do what you do? Why are you striving? There's got to be something that's bigger and better that drives you through all the tribulations you go through, all the afflictions that you have. Remember, there is a devil, and he's real, and he's alive, and he wants to work against you. He wants to keep you from loving the Lord. He wants to keep you from loving souls. He wants to keep you from giving of your time, your talent, your treasures for the sake of Christ. So you know he's going to work. In verse 28, as you know, in everything, there's always an adversary. You see, you had to have somebody that, you know, I guess for competition. I made this statement the other night. I'm looking forward to going to heaven. But I'm wondering, how can you have all this joy in heaven without competition? I mean, whenever I play somebody in golf and I win, more the joy that's there. Or, you know, you can outrun somebody, outthink somebody. You can outdo. You've got to play horseshoes. Why do you play horseshoes? To win. And it's all about winning. You say, no, you just, no, it's not how you play. Okay, you do it your way. I mean, I'm, I want to win. I mean, we watch a football game, and it doesn't matter who wins, as long as they have fun. No, no, it ain't. Ask the managers or the owners if that's all they want. Is just, we just want those guys out there to have a good time. You're right. They want them to win. It's competitive. Even when they play golf, it's competitive. Ball games, it's always competitive. I don't know what life would be like without the competitive spirit that you have. Want to accomplish something, do something. In heaven, we're going to be perfect. And so because we're going to be perfect in heaven, there's not going to be no devil there. There won't be no battles. What are we going to do in heaven? I don't know, but whatever it is, it ought to be good. God has got to have something really designed that's unique, that makes it, I mean, makes it heaven. It's going to be paradise. But look what he says here in verse 28. And in nothing, in nothing, and here's that word terrorized, terrified by your adversary. Don't let the devil terrorize you. He makes you live in fear. Some people are afraid to do what God wants them to do because they're afraid. Afraid of what they may say or do or whatever. He says, don't be afraid. Don't worry about that devil. He says, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. 
you are going to have adversaries. There's going to be things that's going to happen where they are. Not everybody's for you. You realize what we had to do try to find a camp. And then even after we found the camp, you know, I called them up and they said, well, we have another group that's coming in. They want to get, use the cabins. I says, I sent y'all $2,000 deposit for the whole camp. I says, we expect to get the whole camp. And I really appreciate your concern trying to help another group. But we had an agreement where the other group didn't come. Well, we're going to use a zip line. Well, the zip line is not going to be used. And then we were going to have this uh, the thing to shoot with a gun paintball. They said, well, that, all the equipment's gone. See, we were the last group getting this campground. And so they've sold everything, and everything had run down. We got there, and the swimming pool was green. All kind of things, just the trash. The place wasn't clean. All the reasons why you should be upset and just terrible, and you're gonna, you're ready to hang somebody. And so, we just patiently just committed to the Lord. And thing by the time a week was over with, we had a good camp, but we had afflictions, we had problems, but we had some good people that were shock absorbers. You know, on a car, you got to have good shock absorbers, and that's why you, uh, that's that's good men in a ministry. And see, I get a smooth ride. They're the shock absorbers. And I just kind of steer the wheel a little bit, and they're, what are you laughing about? And that's what you want good men for, so they can absorb all that, that road shock, you know, and that chuck hole and all that stuff that, that where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, I, my, I, I just need to enjoy the ride. Y'all do all the work. So much easier that way. Paul didn't have all the things that we had. I don't know if Paul ever had a camp. I think he missed out. He should have had a camp. But he established churches everywhere and did what he could. And we've got some good people, and God has blessed us. But he says, you're going to have adversaries, people that are not for you. They're not with you. They're not trying to help you. They're always trying to tear down. You're always going to have that. Somebody's got to always say a sharp word, a negative word, negative thought. It doesn't matter, you know, the good that's going on. They always see the black. What I did in college class one day, I had a white piece of paper. And I took my black pen and I put one little black spot on that paper. And I held it up in front of the class. I said, what do y'all see up here? Everybody there saw that little white black spot that I put on that white paper. I says, now stop and think. Look how much white is on this paper. It's got one little black spot. And everybody focused on that one little black spot. They forgot about all the white. They only saw the black spot. And a lot of people, they go through life, that's all they look for is to know that something is wrong. You know, the one black spot. It won't matter how many good things you did, you did one thing they didn't like. And there'd be people ready to hang you, crucify you. Paul, Paul went through that. But now look what he says here in verse 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ. In other words, for his sake, for his glory, on behalf of Christ. And you ought to underline this. Not only, not only, 
to believe on him, but also to what? Suffer for his sake. See, once you trust Christ as your Savior, all you had to do is trust the Lord. You have eternal life. You're going to heaven when you die. But it, that's not all he wants. He wants to leave you down here, and your body becomes his body. Ye are the body of Christ. Christ wants to live in your body that he bought and paid for and belongs to him. And because of that, he says, you're going to suffer for the Lord. He has called you to do this. In verse 30, having the same conflict, the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. So what happened to me? Well, if you follow my example, you might have the same thing happen to you. And it could get worse from here on out. That's why you don't know how bad it's going to get tomorrow. You don't need to know. You don't know all the good stuff that's going to happen tomorrow. All you know is serve the Lord today. I used to try to get people, will you dedicate your life to the Lord? Now, we talk about dedicate your life to the Lord. It generally means that time that you have yet ahead of you. You know, we have that, that life out there. I'm going to give that to the Lord. It's easy to dedicate your life that you don't have instead of giving God the day that you do have. You see, dedicate your life to the Lord, but it starts now, and give to the Lord today. And then when the tomorrow comes, give to the Lord that day, and then that day. Because I'll tell you, it's so easy to see, yeah, flippant, yeah, I gave my life to the Lord. Yeah, but you didn't give him this day. And your life is made up of these days, these moments that you have. So serve the Lord faithfully with what you have, where you are, and trust the Lord to open up doors of opportunity for you. And God says that he will bless your life. And that's why he talks about rejoicing. He says, now, it's more needful for me to stay here because you need me. I believe the only reason that I am still here in this old life, this old body, is because I don't believe God is through with me yet. And God gets through with us at different times in our life. And that's when God can just take us on home. And whenever that happens, we want other people' faith to be increased, to love the Lord, to serve the Lord. Now look there in verse 1 of chapter 4. He kind of gives a conclusion here. He says, therefore, my brethren, talking to believers, dearly beloved and long for. In other words, Paul wanted them to know that I really care about you. He mentions this also in the first part of the, the book, after verse 6. He said, I long after you in the tender bowels of mercy. That means your innermost beings, or you're truly concerned about other people. And he says, and long for my joy and my crown. My joy and my crown. Thessalonians puts it a, a little bit differently. He says, ye are my crown of rejoicing. That's the people that he has reached for the Lord. In other words, you say, when I get to heaven, I want God to give me all these crowns. Well, it could be the people that you've reached. That is your crown. I don't know. There's another crown I'm going to wear. I don't know. I often wonder how I'm going to wear five crowns. I want all five crowns. I don't know how you do all that. Or there, I don't really care. I'm going to let the Lord worry about all the crown business. I just want to serve him with all I have, while I can, until death I do part. And I am desirous to be with Christ, which is far better, 
But to remain in the flesh, I believe, and you need to believe, I'm needed. There's people that need me. And if they need me, they need you to help them, to encourage them, to strengthen them. They got afflictions, and some of them seem overwhelmed, and they need encouragement. They need you to pray for them. I don't understand all this stuff about how prayer works, but I do believe it works. I believe even at camp, I sensed, and it's hard to explain to people, that God just put a blanket of covering around our whole camp and just protected us. And we had a, a good camp and enjoyed it. And, and people were listening and learning. The kids were uh, as good as any kids I've ever had in any camp. I've had camps where kids try to overthrow the camp. I'm where the kids would be very rebellious, very defiant. Most of these kids were just they piece of cake. And uh, of course, I don't have to room with them either. When you room with them, that's a little bit different. You can tell them to go to sleep a thousand times, and they'll giggle half the night. I always tell them, I said, the Holy Spirit goes to bed at 11 o'clock. So you can't be having spiritual fellowship after 11 o'clock because the Holy Spirit goes to bed at 11. That don't work either. And some kids, they're going to just do whatever they want to do. And, uh, and you just have to smile and enjoy it and always had to put my bunk in front of the door so that the only way they can get out that door is over my body. And they did that too. <laughs> but you've got all these things you've got to go through, but it is worth it. But look what he says here. You are my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast. You see, it's about in verse 14 of chapter 3, I press toward the mark. It means that I run, I run, I run. Down in verse 16, nevertheless, where to we have already attained, let us walk. So one verse talks about running. One verse talks about walking. And one verse talks about standing. And then verse 5 says, let your moderation be known unto all men, chapter 4. You ought to underline this whole line. The Lord is at hand. So I know that whether I run or whether I walk or whether I stand fast, the Lord is at hand. Because, see, when you go through life, you need to know and believe it like this. Just me and my Lord walking together. Just me and my Lord walking together. Because, see, nobody can do that for you. And your wife can be close to you, your husband can be close to you, but there's nothing like the Lord. The Lord is always there. He's always faithful. He always wants the best, and he can do anything. He can open up doors, and he can close doors. He can bless, and he can beat the tar out of you. You might make your wife mad, and there's consequences to pay. But don't make God mad. Anyway, I guess we'll quit with that. I hope listening to me with my voice like it is, it was endurable. It, not enjoyable, but durable. Look up here. This hand representing you and me. God says that He loves us, but we're born into this world with an old sinful nature. It means we sin naturally. You don't have to be taught how to sin. Well, I did. No, no. Everybody sins. This wallet represents sin. We have all sinned. And 
Because we've sinned, the wages of sin is death. So we have a debt to pay. But God loves us. But He doesn't want us to pay for this sin because that's eternal separation from Him. So the Bible says to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, as righteous as God. None of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. We're all sinners. And God says you cannot save yourself by what you do. We need a Savior. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. God in the flesh. He came into the world because He loves us. Hates our sin because it separates us from Him. So what Christ did for one person, He did for the whole world. Took all the sin of all the world, made one payment, came back from the dead, never has to do it again. They're all paid. And God says, when I believe that He did it for me, He puts this payment to my account. I'm forgiven of all my sins. It's just like I died and I paid for all of my sins. My debt is paid. So I don't have to go to hell and pay for sin because He paid for my sins. And once you accept that payment, it's a done deal. Paid in full. That's why I can't go to hell. I can't go to hell today. I can't go tomorrow. I can't go in 10 years. I can never go to hell. He died for my sins. Oh, that's good news. Now, if you'll believe He did it for you, guess what He'll do? He'll save you just like He did me. Everybody gets to heaven the same way. You accept Christ as your Savior or you don't go. Isn't that fair? All you have to do is believe it. Will you believe that He did this for you? Now, you're here this morning, and I, I don't know if you trust Christ as Savior. And I want you to. I want you to go to heaven. I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to think, well, I'm going to do the best I can. <laughs> then you don't get it. The best you can do is not good enough. You need a payment for your sin. Christ did that. Will you trust Him as your Savior? Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking around. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you trust Him? All I want you to do is right where you're sitting, I want you to talk to the Lord. You see, you don't make a mistake this way. Only the Lord knows your thoughts. He can read your mind. But just tell Him something simple like this. Lord, I'm a sinner. I don't understand it all. But I believe Jesus Christ died on that cross and paid for my sins. Today, right now, this moment, I will accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. And friend, God said if you would do just that much, it's all you have to do, that He would save you from hell, give you eternal life, and you get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for you. Would you trust Him? I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand. Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. And i like to know. So with head by nice clothes, is there anyone at all this morning say, Yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. And preach, I'd like you to pray for me. Would you slip it up real quickly and put it right back down? If you've already trusted the Lord, you don't have to do it again. But if you've never done it before, say right now, I will trust the Lord. Would you slip it up real quickly? Put it right back down. Anywhere at all. Yes, God bless you, man. I appreciate that. The sign of good judgment. Anyone else? You can put it down. Remember, by trusting Christ as your Savior, He gives you eternal life, and He'll never cast you out and never lose you. You that know Christ as your Savior, has He been talking to you this morning? Are you walking with Him? I want you to serve Him. 
Our Father, we thank you so much for all you've done for us, especially for the individual that indicated by an uplifted hand that they would trust you as Savior. By doing so, they become your child, your child forever. But you'll never cast them out and never lose them. We ask your blessings on each person here to help them to understand the value of walking with you, growing up, letting Christ build them into a strong house. We thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Do you have to be baptized in water to be saved and go to heaven? Would that make the person who baptized you your Savior? There are at least five baptisms in the Bible. Which one gets you to heaven? Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book. Or request by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound, and we will be changed, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me